This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Our first reading today is found in the prophet Isaiah, the 44th chapter. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Who's like me? Let them proclaim it. Let them declare and set it forth before me. Who's announced from of old the things to come? Let them tell us what is yet to be. Do not fear or be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? There is no other rock. I know not one. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Second reading, we're continuing a reading from Paul's letter to the Romans. Today we're in the eighth chapter. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it's that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him, so that we might also be glorified with him. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Our reading from the life of Jesus is again today in the sixth chapter of Matthew. Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust consume, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is unhealthy, then your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light in you is darkness, well, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. A slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. Therefore, I tell you, Do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Uh, They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not of more value than they? 
And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will God not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink, what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Grace and mercy and peace be yours through Jesus who came to our rescue. Amen. A number of years ago, I was um, in one of those group settings where you go around the room and you have to introduce yourself to everybody. And one of my considerably younger pastoral colleagues, uh, David Young, who's now pastor at Bethel Lutheran Church in Winchester, Virginia, this is how David introduced himself. He said, hi, I'm Dave. I'm a child of God. I'm employed as the head sheepdog for the good shepherd of a little flock in Cincinnati, Ohio. So here's where we are today. Um, Third week of a five-week series focused on a subject that drives most of us crazy. Stuff, money, possessions. Every one of you today already has made a decision about those things, and you'll do that as soon as you leave. And if we cannot connect those things to our life of faith, then faith just stays in our head. And Jesus connected them, obviously, in this lesson. We're hearing the same gospel reading for five weeks in a row. Um, when I shared that at the early service, someone said, oh, thank goodness, Pastor, I know you're doing the bulletins right now, and I thought you screwed up and left it in there from last week. We're doing it intentionally. We're hearing the same reading, and we're inviting you to take it home and to reflect on it and to sit with it and read it in your own voice, in your own tongue. Say, what does it mean for you and, and for your life? We're keeping the first two readings every week because we're kind of looking for what are the connections between those two. How does the Spirit want to connect it? No scripture stands all by itself, and we don't just like cherry-pick verses, so it's kind of a discipline for ours to keep them together. And two weeks ago, I opened with this uh, tension that I think we all have uh, about managing our stuff. How we're all called to generosity. We're called to love ourselves and to love God and to love our neighbor, and we can't do that without being generous to ourselves and to God and to our neighbors. And yet it's very hard to do. It's a very simple thing, but it's hard to do. And we use the passage from Romans where Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do are the things I do. And that's all of us. Um, But we're called to that, called to generosity, and formulaically we call that uh, share, uh, spend, and save. And Uh, The idea is that you would learn to share the first 10%, learn to save the next 10%, and then spend the other 80% joyfully. And then last week, uh, our one body team had come back from Jamaica, and uh, and most of them and three of their chaperones, uh, they really gave the message last week. Uh, Among the things that they shared was the obvious joy of people that they met who didn't have a lot, who didn't have cell phones, didn't have running water, had largely chicken and rice to eat every single day over and over and over again. And a couple of them made the connection just point blank to us out these three services that you don't have to have a lot to be happy, evidently. 
which I, that's big. And sometimes when you have a lot and you don't keep it in balance, it robs you of happiness, which is why in my own life, every few years, I make sure I take one of these kind of trips, uh, southeast U.S., Palestine, Haiti, El Salvador, Texas, and we no longer call them mission trips. We call them grow trips because we grow more than we, we really serve. Uh, so that's where we were. We've got this series going. This is week three of a five-week series. And then, because it wasn't challenging enough subject already, I completely complicated it by mailing a letter to all of our members um, and our bishop and nobody else that I had discerned that I am increasingly becoming an elephant in the room rather than a sheepdog for what is no longer a small flock but is a large one, and it is time for me to step down. Uh, you deserve more bark. That's one of the things I wanted to say. There's a few of you could use a little more bite, but most of us just deserve a little more bark than this sheepdog is offering. And it's been unsustainable for a little while and painfully obvious to some of you. And so I prayerfully announced that I would uh, give up my call to be your pastor, sheepdog of this beloved flock, uh, on October the 5th. Now, that kind of shot a hole in the series. Um, how could I stand here today and not address that? Probably should have planned that out a little better. It's new territory for both of us, you and I. But I had a little incident this week. I ran into a friend, a relative of one of our members of regular worship here. I'm not going to name who that person is, even they're, they're sitting here. Picking up some things at Trader Joe's this week. One of the things she reminded me of was that uh, this congregation and your current sheepdog are pretty good at keeping the gospel at the center of what we do. That our most precious possession in this church is not any one person, not any worship style, not any way of looking at the Bible. Our most precious possession is the pearl of great price that not one of us did a single thing to earn as an unconditional gift, the love of God. And I don't want to scare any of you or stop you from going to Trader Joe, but I, I almost gave her a gigantic hug and a kiss right there. You cannot serve God in wealth, says Jesus. There is no other rock, not one, says Isaiah. In fact, the love and grace of God is our wealth, is our rock. It's the one constant. And I do understand this, that if you don't get that, uh, the extravagant, radical, relentless love of God is a free gift to all people all the time, and not only can you bank on that, but you need to bank on that because everything else is fleeting. Then when you come to church and you hear anyone talking about money and your stuff, it it very naturally is going to sound like fundraising. But it's not. It's just not. So it's a pretty challenging day right now. I got a lot of things zooming around here, and I'm dragging you into all of it. Um, and trying to figure out where to go. Uh, and I had this little flashback this week. Uh, a number of years ago, 28, in fact, we were having our first capital campaign at, while I was here. Uh, we paid off a debt of $90,000 on the original building of the church. Um, and our consultant was a guy named Jim Runyon. He was from, from Texas, and he was Baptist, and he had this kind of great Texas kind of drawl, which made me a little suspicious, to be honest. And he was going to give me some advice. I was a young pastor, and, and I said, well, what, what do I need to do? 
And he said, well, you need to get up and you need to share how you and your wife and your kids, how you came to your decision about how you will financially and sacrificially support this church. Now, that's a tough thing to do. It doesn't matter who you are. There's a taboo about sharing all your finances with other people in our culture. But we did it. Um, I shared that we had a brand new mortgage. I shared that we had some debt from graduate school, which was kind of a lie. What we had was a big MasterCard bill. And how was a family that we sat down with our kids and we shared, here's how little we have. And our youngest son said, we're rich! Perspective is everything. And how we as a family had taken on a job cleaning a little office nearby, and that would be our gift to the campaign for the next three years. So what I want to do today, uh, knowing how effective that was, is not so much share a sermon, but do what Isaiah says, be a witness and give some testimony about things and stuff and faith. Um, I went to seminary as somewhat of an orphan. Um, my family of origin and Anne's as well were really solidly middle class in the best sense of the word. White collar, blue collar, really hardworking people. Uh, we were blessed not to live without things when we were children. But there was this massive church-wide conflict in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and my parents were on one side, and I had taken another direction. And at the same time, I had made the horrible mistake as a young Lutheran in falling in love with what my parents called a heathen Presbyterian. (laughs) Neither set of parents were particularly happy about this new relationship, especially as we left home and college and off to a new venture. And I went to seminary then with nothing, not a home congregation to support me, not parents, nothing. Now, the really good news about nothing is I really mean that. Uh, I didn't have any debt, and Ann didn't have any debt. Um, Look about how that happened. It happened with a football scholarship, and it happened with the generosity of my parents. It happened because Ann had a lot of smarts and a lot of good scholarships and the generosity of her parents. But we graduated with college with no debt. Now, I'm trying to be gentle here. Next to the assault on all of us, the rising cost of health care, and next to the devaluation of a fair wage, increasing cost of an education and the debt that comes with it is one of the biggest problems we're facing in this world, in this culture. And a lot of folks my age don't understand that. They don't understand it because they didn't have to deal with it in the same way. And I'll be really clear now, and a lot of folks in a younger age think that that's just the way it is and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, I'm getting a little nervous about this part. Um, The first time Ann and I went out, I shared with her pretty naively that um, I'm going to be a pastor and I'm not really interested in any serious relationships. And eight days later, I asked her to marry me. (laughs) Decisive. Um, But when I asked her to marry me, I said, but we're not going to get married until I graduate from seminary because we can't afford that. Well, uh, somehow I got a scholarship at seminary. Uh, That was the American Lutheran Church, and they weren't giving out scholarships to anybody, but the president of the seminary said, hey, the Ohio District's giving out scholarships, and I said, I'm not part of the Ohio District. He says, don't tell them. They don't know. 
and I got a full scholarship to go to seminary. And then between the scholarship and the recognition that the long distance phone charges were killing me, and those of you who are younger, there didn't used to be this thing called unlimited calling. <laughs> didn't, that didn't used to exist. So we just concluded, imagine, five months earlier, I'm not getting married to the end of seminary. We got married spring break the first year. <laughs> we prayed our hearts out about that. God, I think, was listening. I took a job as a houseboy for a wealthy Jewish family in Bexley. We lived above their garage, um, one room room. Um, he never really understood what I was doing. He once offered to buy me a bus so that I could get out on the road and preach and make more money. <laughs> um, and, and worked for Augsburg and then for the seminary, and I had several part jobs, time jobs. Worked at Talbot Hall detox unit. Fast forward, I graduated from seminary, owing to seminary $260. And here's a little twist. Uh, I got some award at the seminary when you graduate, and I opened up the award, and there was a check in it for 200 bucks. <laughs> So I took the 200 bucks that they gave me, I signed my name to the back of it, I walked to the other side of the seminary and put three $20 bills and said, we're done. And I graduated from seminary without any debt. We have never had an intern in this church that has graduated from seminary without debt. But because Ann and I were really slow learners, and because our parents had a taboo about talking about money, we were far less appreciative and aware about God's goodness to us and what was being showered on us. And so in our first parish in Pocahontas, Missouri, uh, 18 houses, picture this, 18 houses and two Lutheran churches. We hit a wall. Um, It's not really the one you think. The first wall was that we only got paid once a month and we had never budgeted anything in our life. We just you know, if you needed more money, we went out and took another job or did something else. But when you're a small town parish pastor, you, you, know, you don't do things on the side. And more than a few months, we were eating spaghetti for the last few days. But the biggest wall we hit was this. Uh, Kenny Pope came to me one day, privately, thankfully, and, um, and said to me, Pastor, I noticed that you're not tithing. And I was kind of defensive about that. And I, I said, well, well, you know, I can always ask, why, 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 and, and um, and he explained some things to me that day. Uh, he explained not that it was a legalism thing. And when I asked him how he knew that, he said, well, pastor, I'm the treasurer. I write your check and I count the offering. But then he said that, it, pastor, if you really want to have a life of joy and you want to be free from worrying about money, you have to learn to let go of it. You can't just hold on to it. And then he made this young couple an offer that if you would give the first 10%, you said, back to God next year, and if at the end of the year you think God cheated you, I'll make good on it. Now you think about that for a little while. And I still had such little faith um, that we did that, and we put the money, not a check, we put the money in a jar, and we waited till the end of the month to get it. It took a while before we started giving it at the start of the month. Six years ago, Ann and I were blessed to give 16% of our income, so much that we got audited by the IRS for out of proportion giving. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) But 
and then our second call, full-time pastor, full-time grad student, uh, huge blessing in our lives. We lived in a parsonage basically for compensation, and we moved. We were expecting our second child already, and he had some serious health complications at the time, the expensive kind. And yet God was so good to us, but it was a really difficult time financially for us. But we had already understood the share part really well, the share part, but we did not understand the save part. We didn't understand why we would save and why that would be necessary for us. But thankfully, the church understood that. I'm going to say that part again. We didn't understand why that was important, but thankfully the church did. And if you want to know why I risk these kind of sermons, this is the answer, because the church did. Every year, there were no options about this at the time. The church held out 9% of my salary. No matter how small or large my salary was, they took 9% for my retirement. The church up until then had endured a couple of generations of pastors who at one era were paid in firewood and chickens and now lived in an era where that didn't work and they were underfunded for their retirements. And so the church took another 1% of my income to make minimum retirement payments for people who were my heroes. And that was an easy thing for us to do. When we came to Lord of Life Church, we lived in somebody else's house for the first five months. They went to Florida, which is a huge gift, as long as you can imagine having two toddlers and a house full of antique collectibles. And we committed again still to sharing as the way of Jesus. And the church helped us learn how to save. And every time we had an option to save more, we did. And then Ann worked part-time when the kids went back to school and full-time when the kids left home. One of our sons went to Naval Academy, which cost me much less and him much more. And the other decided college wasn't for him. So we kind of escaped yet another bullet in our life. And then we saw how it worked. And this is the big point for me. We saw right here at Lord of Life Church how it worked. Why you want to save so that you can be generous in the world. And I get that some people aren't going to get this. And I get why, because I, I, frankly, I was a long time that I didn't get it. Share, save, spend. It's tough. It's really tough. It's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive to every professional marketer that is aimed at you right now. I can boil down every one of the commercials. If you buy this, own this, have this, do this, then you will be happier. And nothing could be more true. But there are also people who figured it out and who don't struggle in the same way. And it's not that they always have more, but they figured it out. And Ann and I were privileged in this church to see that kind of joy in people's lives. The joy that they just had deep inside that there's no other rock than God. The, the joy of having saved so that they could let go of it generously. And we saw that it works. And in that first capital campaign, when someone was able to make a gift of $5,000, Ann and I said, we want to be able to do that, God. Now, Jim and Ann Wilson are going to step down from this role and at peace about all of that. Um, and I want you to know this pastorally for your care that not concerned in the least bit about our financial well-being and frankly, a lot of it has to do with 10, 10, 80. And we've been doing that for a long time. And God has been faithful. 
On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. My oldest son came home from the Naval Academy, delicately asked, uh, what's going to happen when you get old? Who's going to take care of you? Thinking it might be him. And I said, well, just go up, turn on the computer, look at quick, and you can see everything we got. He did. He knew how to read all that. He was an economics major. He came down and says, where did you get that money? And his mother said to him, God gave it to us. God gave it to us. Uh, it has enabled us at this moment to not stay as your pastor past a time of productivity. It has enabled us to keep God and God's mission and the church at the front of our lives. And I share all of this with you, not because it's really easy for me to do today, but because the testimony needs to be that God is faithful. Because you can't go into the future unless you know that God is faithful. So, um, I've been trying to figure out what you say after you retire and someone says, what do you do? I used to be a sheepdog. I used to be really good at yapping at people. It's not really about what you used to do or what you do. It's always about the good shepherd, the good shepherd who loves us more than we know. And so, yes, on one level, I'm talking about money today, but there's not an ounce of fundraising in this message. There's, I hope, a lot of love for all of you. What I hope I'm doing is bearing witness to the goodness of God. Every single one of us wrestles with stuff, every one of us. And friends, I think Jesus understands that. Uh, and I think he nails it in Matthew 6. So what I'm inviting you to do for a few more weeks is to sit with it, um, keep it in the context of a God who has and will do anything for you. And I hope we have a chance to talk about it next week, less personally, uh, next week again. But until then, uh, no matter what decisions you're weighing over and making about things and possessions and money, remember this much. You, you have more than enough. It's the promise of God. And God loves you. He loves, loves you more than any of you really know. Amen.